Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. If you got a Bible, go ahead to turn to Matthew chapter 11. I will be there in a moment. I just want to make sure you caught that announcement that we will not be here Christmas morning. You can come and gather outside if you would like and uh, watch online. The internet will be working. You can watch on your laptop. I would suggest that you do it at home or gather with some friends possibly, uh, family. I will be on there watching myself preach. It's going to be a good time. Amen? Amen? All right. We're in our third week of Advent, and um, Advent is kind of a fancy, fancy church word for um, the creation, the, the birth of Jesus, how Jesus came and put on flesh. And we're in our third week of, um, of celebrating that. And, and, and we, 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 we have talked about it in a, in, in a bit of change, right? Um, it, historically, as, a, as, as Americans, um, we enter the Christmas season by spending money we don't have, Right? We enter it a month early, the last week of work before Christmas. We don't accomplish anything, right? Uh, and, and then Christmas comes, and then after Christmas, sometime by the end of that week, we take down our Christmas decorations, and then we move into New Year, right? So we celebrate the birth of Jesus before He ever comes, and then once He comes, we don't do anything different. We go back to the life we had before we celebrated Him. And uh, as we study the scriptures, as we study the history of the church, what we're trying to do at Revival Life Church is uh, we're trying to be a little more faithful to the church tradition. And uh, number two, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get Jesus to actually come into our lives and change some things. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to need some encouragement today. I'm, 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 you know, there's times that you're feeling all gung-ho and, and all excited about yourself, then there's other times you just want some encouragement. And today, I, I'm, I'm going to require a little bit of feedback because I want to I I make sure you're getting this. Um, change is happening at Revival Life Church. Change is happening in our hearts. I don't know if you've noticed that uh, when God begins to do something, He starts in your heart, and your heart gets a little sensitive. Have you noticed that? When God comes knocking, your heart gets a little sensitive. Things like that didn't bother you. Ooh, that, what, wait, what, what was that? What, what, what was that? They, there's this old saying, they say, never pray for patience uh, because you get stuck behind slow drivers and all that. The truth is you've always been behind slow drivers. You just haven't handled it well. But now the Lord has pricked your heart to recognize the shortcomings that you have so you can start to deal with them. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? God makes us aware of our need. Come on, for God's grace. One class, we all clap. Come on. God makes us aware of our need for His grace. And what happens is we, um, we, we get way too comfortable way too quick. We, we, like, we get way too knowledgeable. We get too excited about ourselves. I, 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 you know, I knew the most about God. I was most sure of everything I knew about God before I got saved. I knew all about God. I could talk all about Him, and I could tell, you know, I, I know my relationship with Him. I know, I know all this stuff. I, knew, I was so sure of everything, and then I got saved. And when I got saved, I found out that I didn't know Him nearly like I thought I knew Him, and I did not know His ways. Not only did I not know His ways, my life did not reflect His ways. And as I grow in the goodness of God, as I grow in the mercy of God, and as you are being drawn to God, you are going to find new areas that God is not active in your life. And that's good. Because that those are the open doors that God is inviting you into. Okay, Pastor. That's great. Thank you. Woohoo! I'm so excited. Listen, by the end of this message, this is going to make you very happy. Uh, because God, God wants all of us, and He wants to give us all of Him. Can you say amen? amen. So we, we see in the Old Covenant, uh, 
we see in the prophets in the history of the Old Covenant, these prophets would come, and there was kind of a, a pattern of Old Testament prophecies. Uh, and they went through a couple phases. The prophecies went something like, um, God is supposed to be your only God. Uh, he is not your only God right now, and that's a problem. Because you are not serving God as God, you are going to be led into bad times. Bad things are going to happen to you because you are not serving God like you promised you would serve Him. And so then the prophet would say, I see where this is going, and this is the destruction that's going to come upon you because you're not serving God like you promised. However, after a period of time, you will recognize that it is because you have not served God that you will come back to me. And when you decide that you actually want to be my people, I will be waiting for you. And in that time, I will raise up a deliverer, and I will bring you out of bondage, and I will bring you back into the land I promised you, and I will redeem all the bad stuff that happened to you. That is the pattern of every Old Testament prophet. And as people obeyed the word of the Lord, they would either, like in the case of Jonah, they would receive the word of the Lord, they would repent, and none of the calamity would happen. Other times, they would completely, oh, my finances are good, I got land, I'm doing well, clearly the prophet doesn't know what he's talking about, and then the people will go into 400 years of slavery. I mean, like, it, like it, it wasn't a temporary thing. It wasn't like, you know, a weekend in jail. It was like nine generations of bondage, right? And these were, this is how it went. And so the Old Testament prophets, they had this pattern. Now, before I get in the message, I wanted to share a couple things uh, today. Number one, last night I prayed. I said, Lord, I would pray that tomorrow somebody would bring a prophetic word uh, to our service. And, um, and I was hoping it wouldn't be one. I, I, there's, there's two kinds of prophetic words that I have experienced in the church. There's a kind where I have to stand up and say, <clears throat> um, good try, brother. Um, I don't believe that was God at all. That, that's uncomfortable. But you need somebody to, to judge words, right? And then there's a kind where you're like, I'm encouraged about what God is doing. Right, and so uh, Duke had a. He prayed for me while I was praying, and I said, "Well, you have a word. Go ahead and share it." I didn't know he was going to give a word for me, but you know, if you're going to get a good word, you might as well be for you, right? I mean, if you're praying for a word, I mean, that that was a little icing on top. You know, I like the public sheet cakes. I like the icing on top even more, right? And so Duke gave a word for me. I appreciate it greatly. I receive it. I will weigh that. I will judge it, and I will hear the Lord about it. But <coughs> in the New Testament, we have people who want to, we're in this New Testament, if you're kind of new to God, there was like this old covenant, uh, what we call the old covenant, the, uh, the Jews wouldn't call it the old covenant, they call it the covenant, right? Uh, we, we would call it the old covenant, and then there's this new covenant that came through Jesus Christ. Now, that's if you subscribe to covenant theology. What I would say is that God has always been like Jesus, there's never been a time that God has not been like Jesus because Jesus is eternal and he's always been God. Go home and pray through that one, all right? So Jesus has always been like God. God has always been like Jesus. And so Jesus, uh, like that parable of the man who owned the vineyard and the workers kept getting it wrong and he finally sent his son to set them right and they didn't even receive him and they killed him. This is the story of Jesus. Jesus came and made it very clear, this is who I am. And so today, I have challenges because we're a prophetic church, we believe in prophecy, but we got people who want to prophesy like Old Testament prophets here in this New Testament time. Amen. Right? And, and, and it doesn't match with what God is doing, and it sends people into a bit of a tailspin because they don't understand God, and they have a hard time reconciling what they read in the Old Testament with who Jesus has shown himself to be. Now, I don't have time to completely unwrap that today, but I am going to bless you as we look at both in the Word. Okay, are we good? Yeah. 
Do you, do you, are, you, are you ready to kind of learn the Word today? Are we ready to jump in the Word and be fed some Word? Is that, is that good? All right. Go ahead. Yeah, amen. Turn in your Bible to, to Matthew chapter 11. I got to tell you the revelation that God is pouring out in this house. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm pretty excited about it, Duke. I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. What I have found out is that when God raises people, when God um, disciples people, it's more crockpot than microwave. We're, we're in a microwave church age. We're like, by the end of this service, all this is going to happen. And that's neither biblical, nor does that actually happen. Like the crock pot, you cut some stuff up, you go to work, you come back, and it's been cooking all day. The whole house smells good. It changes the fragrance of the room. You come home, there's a stew in the room. Like the whole atmosphere is shifted. You hit the microwave, it's done, it's gone, it's hot, then it turns hard. And, you know, like that's... Right? It's, it's, we're, we're in a microwave church kind of age where they say, I'm going to give you a message. It's going to make you... It's, you I'm, I'm, oh gosh, okay. I'm going to tell you this funny story. So, like, I grew up eating Count Chocula. <laughs> Literally. Like, my mom cooked food I didn't like, and I ate Count Chocula cereal for dinner for years. Right? Like, this is just... I ate a lot of Count Chocula. And um, when, you're, when you're young, you could do that. Uh, as a birthday gift, as a joke, my brother-in-law bought me a, a, a box of Count Chocula. I didn't know they still made it. And if you don't know, it's like, a, I don't know, a chocolate count, right, in uh, all the, the cereals and coffee. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? It's a chocolate cereal. All right. So I poured myself a bowl of this. Now, now the other thing you should know about me is I eat cereal for breakfast maybe 29 days a month, including February, right? Like, I, I, I eat... Like, every now and then, I might eat Dunkin' Donuts, right? So, uh, a bacon, egg, and cheese croissant. So, I eat cereal every day for breakfast. Ate it this morning. I'll eat it tomorrow morning, right? This is what I do. I'm a man of habits. When I go to a restaurant, if I've been there once, I no longer need the menu. I already know what I'm having. This is, I'm set. I'm set. No, I'll have the Prohibition Burger. I don't need any of that. I need to leave this stuff off. I'm good to go, right? This is who I am. (laughs) So I got bought this Count Chocula, and I poured myself a nice big bowl of Count Chocula. And the first thing I, I recognized was I ate a bowl, and I wasn't full. And I thought that was kind of weird, because I'm normally full after a bowl of cereal, so I poured another half bowl, and I ate that. And then I was kind of full. Now, what I didn't realize was the kind of cereal I eat is like, you know, wheat and, you know, like food. It's like real food, right? What I didn't recognize was Count Chocula is various iterations of sugar, Right? There's puffed sugar, there's granulated sugar, there's harder sugars, and there's softer sugar. It's just sugar. And so I ate it, and I had a cup of coffee, and uh, then I was, I was really happy. Right? Like, I was like, really? I was on. Like, like, a brother was on. The morning was amazing. I was getting stuff done. I couldn't think particularly straight, but things were good. Right? And then about 11, I felt something happening in my body. I wasn't quite familiar what it was, and I was trying to charge through it, and then all of a sudden, it was like somebody turned off my heart, like my entire body started to crash, and I was shaking, and I was sweating, and what I recognized was I had a pound of sugar for breakfast, right? Like that's, it, it was sweet, and, and, and it was certainly delightful, but it didn't do anything good for my body. It did not do anything for my growth. It didn't do, do anything for my health. It was it was bliss to my mouth, uh, but the rest of my body was like, if you do that again, I'm just going to go into cardiac arrest, and we're just, we're just not playing this game anymore, right? And, and, and so what we have found, um, uh, you know, they market this to kids for a reason, right? Because they're stupid, and they think it's real food, right? And so they'll harass their parents into buying it, uh, and they'll just buy it to shut them up. And so what we have in the church today are just children being marketed to uh, who are complaining for, you know, m- series about, you know, movies and TV shows and, and, and whatever, everything but Jesus, right? Uh, we're going to have outreaches that don't actually preach the gospel, right? We're going to have, we're going to have church outreach. We're going to have church. Well, we're doing these service events. What's a service event? We're going we're to pay for people's laundry. Well, that's like preaching the gospel, uh, except it's not, you know, it's just, it's like the mission of Jesus, except it just kind of has nothing to do with Jesus, what Jesus said, right? And so we develop these things that they just sound good and they taste sweet and they get us excited, watch this, about ourselves, but we don't actually grow and formed into the image of God. Now, now you can throw some meat 
on a, a pan and cook it. But if you want it soft, like my wife's roast, it's going to have to sit in that crock pot for eight hours. Amen? It's going to have to sit there. And you got to get the juice of the potatoes and the juice of the carrots, which I pick out, uh, and the juice of, 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 of the celery and the seasonings. That takes some time. Amen? And if you are going to grow as a Christian, it's going to take some time. You are not going to leave this service today mature if you came in immature. You're going to actually have to crack open the Bible on your own. You're going to have to keep the Lord's day holy, set aside for your growth in Christ. You're going to have to actually sit under the preached word. You're going to have to actually serve other Christians. We're going to have to do the mission that Jesus told us to do because there are parts of being a Christian and experiencing God that you will never, ever tap into until you start serving. Until you tell somebody the gospel, there is a, an entire aspect of Jesus that you'll never know. His saving work. It'll never happen. Until you develop spiritual disciplines. Like, this is how I live. I am practicing my faith. I go to church. Sunday is holy for me. I read the Bible, and I actually try to figure out what it means. I am growing. Amen. Like, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. And you're going to find out along the way that there's things that you thought you knew that were completely wrong, and God didn't kill you. And you were just like, wow, he's better than I thought. With that in mind, we're going to talk today about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet, but John the Baptist was a very special man. John the Baptist, I'm sure you've heard of, was a cousin of Jesus, was his older cousin. Uh, and he had a very special role as being the last Old Covenant prophet. Uh, but he was more than a prophet because what he prophesied came to pass in his life. The, the, the judgment redemption arc happened in one generation. It was just amazing. So with that, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. Starting in verse 2. All right, I've already gone long. <clears throat> I was talking to our production team this morning. We um, had to completely redo our production computer. So we had to reset some things. And Suwana said to me, yeah, we got the countdown timer for your preaching at 25 minutes. Should we even use that anymore? I said... <laughs> I said, I bind those words in the name of Jesus. <laughs> this is not an episode of Ren and Stimpy. You know what I mean? It takes a minute to, 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 to learn the word. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Now, when John was in prison, that's John the Baptist, not John the Beloved. When John the Baptist was imprisoned, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and as you read in the Gospels, very, very soon after he baptized Jesus, uh, he spoke out against um, what we would consider um, a marriage that is uh, not biblical because this guy was having sex with other folks. And so the, he got thrown in jail. So now when John the Baptist was imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and asked him and said to him, are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, and can you say amen to the reading of the word? Amen, 
Amen. Here's the challenge that we have in reading scriptures like this, because this is not some obscure scripture if you've grown up in church and been in church. This is a very familiar scripture. And the problem is that we get so familiar with these, we miss how radical Jesus was. We get inoculated to how countercultural he was trying to do spiritual formation with his disciples. We miss that how radically opposed he was to the status quo. We miss how much anger he provoked in those around him. We miss how passionate he was about justice and how he did not care who got upset with his values. We, we just miss the countercultural, radical, radical nature of Jesus Christ. He was so radical that Jesus showed up on the scene that God said, the people can't even take you. I got to send you a hype man, right? I got to send a guy who goes on stage to get people ready for you because on your own, they're not even going to be able to receive you. I got to send a guy ahead of you. And so he sent John the Baptist to like break ground, prophetic breaking ground in people's hearts to get ready for Jesus. Like John the Baptist was the stepping stone to Jesus. But John the Baptist was so radical they thought he was the Messiah. And John's like, you ain't seen nothing yet. Like, I'm rebuking Pharisees and Sadducees. I'm calling them snakes. I'm telling people to get baptized. I look like a crazy man, but the one coming after me? If you don't like me, you are really not going to like him. You're like, he is going to turn things upside down. But what is amazing about what John the Baptist does here and what Jesus says about John the Baptist is how he connects uh, our countercultural formation, and the mission of God. It is, it is radical. Now, John the Baptist, like I said, was, was the cousin of Jesus. He knew, his, his mom knew, that there was the Messiah in the womb of Mary, whom we will celebrate the coming of very soon. We know that the, that, that, or the baby leapt in, in, in the womb once the two got together. We know that John the Baptist had made a vow so that he could be pure enough to announce the coming of Jesus. We know that he would speak radically against sin. He would speak radically against injustice. He would speak radically about people not following God properly. And he also spoke radically about Jesus being the Messiah. He actually water baptized Jesus. Jesus rose out of the water and the Father spoke from heaven and the Holy Ghost descended on Jesus like a dove. I have a little icon of it in my office because I just can't imagine what that moment must have been like. Like what, what, what was the glory that they experienced in that moment when God himself spoke audibly from heaven and they visibly saw the Holy Ghost land on Jesus. And the only way they could describe it, a dove didn't land on Jesus. The Bible says the Holy Ghost landed on Jesus like a dove. What was that even like? They didn't have words for it. And so John the Baptist was continuing his ministry, and he got placed in prison. And now here he's the prophet prophesying that the Messiah would come. Now, historically in Jewish literature, the Messiah was going to come and he would take the Jews out of bondage and would bring them back in the land of Israel and they would no longer be captives. There were three, other than the Egyptian exodus, there were three major times of captivity of the Jews. Uh, and, 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 and every time there was a prophetic, a, a group of prophetic witnesses that said, hey, if you turn back to God, you're going to come back into the land that we've promised you. But now they're in the land, but they're captives of Rome. And so it goes to, to, to thinking, it goes to reason that God was going to now release the Jews from Roman oppression. It would make sense, amen? Because that is historically what the prophets preached. But John the Baptist was in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness right after the baptism of Jesus and he was arrested by Herod. And so we tend to read the scriptures through the lens of what we <clears throat> think they say as opposed to what they actually 
say, just like we tend to hear God in ways that we think we want him to speak rather than what he's actually speaking. We so want God to say something, we believe he said it when God really said something radically different, but we miss the nuance. Amen? God wants to bring you out of your troubles, but you're probably going to be part of the coming out. But we're looking for magical God. But God wants to work within us to build something that remains. So when we think we know the scriptures, but we don't actually know it, when we think we know what God is saying, we don't actually know what he's saying, it sets us up for two traps, right? I'm going to go over these fairly quickly. Trap number one, if you would put this up for us, being offended by what Jesus is not doing. This is the massive trap happening today in many people who are deconstructing. They are totally offended that Jesus is not doing what they think he should be doing. If you're really God, why? Right? Now, John the Baptist is in prison. Jesus said he's the greatest one who ever lived, and he's in jail. And he sends his disciples to Jesus like, are you really? Are you really the the Messiah? You're going to release all of Israel, but I'm not even released? I've always read this scripture and wondered what was going through John's mind. Was John bitter that he wasn't out of jail? Like, because I get bitter that I get trapped in situations I don't want to be in. Can, Can I be honest? And I'm like, God, you could easily change all of this in a moment. You could just think it and everything would be different. And you got to guard your heart against being offended with God. Why am I dealing with this sickness? I know prophets who've seen all kinds of miracles, and yet they're struggling with heart conditions, dealing with ailments. Maybe, maybe you're trapped in financial oppression right now. And you say, Jesus, you, 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 you live in a place that the streets are made of gold, like why can't you just break off a brother just one chunk? Like, what would, it, what would it be to you? What? Like, come on. We, get, we, 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 we fall into these traps of, of offense with, with, with God and with people. We, we, we fall into these just the being trapped by struggles and we get offended with God at what he's not doing. And we read this story about John being in prison and we're like, Why is he trapped in jail? What's going on? And so next slide, if you would. People who don't know God ask, if God is love, why is there cancer? If God is love, why is there war? If God is love, why do I have to change? If God is so good, how come my grandmother prayed to be healed of cancer and she died? If God is so good, why do we have so much poverty on the earth? If God is so good, and you can, you can fill in all the questions. Can, can we just be real in the house of God today? Let me tell you something. <clears throat> Let me tell you what's so amazing about Jesus. Let me tell you what's so amazing about this book right here, the Holy Bible. This is the only, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to be exclusive for a reason. This is the only holy scripture of any major faith in the world that shows people doubting God. Read the Psalms. They are filled with the, the impeccatory Psalms are an entire collection of Psalms of people complaining about what God is not doing. Time and again, there's people in this book who are like, why are you allowing this suffer? We have the only faith where our God allows us to be on a faith journey with Him. 
We don't kill people who doubt God. We don't throw them off of buildings. We don't shun them like Jehovah Witnesses. We don't kick them out like the Mormons. We don't say that they deserve to be murdered like the Muslims. And I'm not trying to denigrate any of them, but this is their faith. You are not allowed to doubt once you find out. If you ever doubt, you ever you ever question, if you ever have hard questions, if you're ever stuck and your faith doesn't make sense, well, if you voice it, you get kicked out. But Jesus says, come on, I got a whole book of people who did not know what God was doing, but they stayed faithful and God answered their questions and he came through with love. This is it. This is the only faith that allows you to be, watch this, human. God desires you to be human. The glory of God is a human fully alive. Let me show you what what, what a a mature answer to this question is. Next slide, please. I don't know. If God is good, why did my grandmother, who served him her whole life, die of cancer? I don't know. You don't have to make up excuses for God. You don't have to defend God. You don't have, don't, don't make some, please don't say God wanted her home. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, God need another angel. No, that's not how that works. <clears throat> oh, your cancer is a season of testing. No, 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 no. I don't know. I don't know. Next slide. But I know he's good. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't. I don't know. But I know God is good. God has proven to me time and again that he is good. But you got to stick around long enough to see the goodness of God. You got to walk this thing through your offenses and your trials and your hurts and your faith tests and the I don't knows long enough to see that over time, God is faithful. Why did my mom die? I don't know. I don't know, but I know he is good. Why did he kill her? Who says God killed her? Whoa, slow your roll. God is good. I I tell you what, as 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 I grow older, I understand that my days are limited. When you're young, you got the whole, whole, whole life ahead of you. But the older you get, you start hitting some of the milestones. I know some of y'all hit 30 and you start freaking out a little bit like, hmm, I should own a house, have two kids, be married in a career and my side hustle and, the, you know, four million Instagram likes and like, I'll, you know, my own YouTube channel. But like, I, you hit 40 and then you're like, whoa, now you get, now I'm now 50 plus. And, uh. And, I'm, and, 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 and odds are I'm closer to the second half than the first half of my race. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm at a mature enough place to say, I do not know, but I know he is good. And I know one day I am going to spend eternity with him. And I'm going to be very honest. I'm not going to be thinking about any of you. <clears throat> when you show up, we'll party. We'll have a good time together. But I never heard anybody who had a near-death experience who saw God and went to heaven and were thinking about the people on earth. Next time you hear about it, like, they go into heaven, they're like, this is bliss, this is amazing. And an angel says, it's not time yet. They're like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Can I stay? Like, can I just, can I just stay? Like, I know he's good. And so, but John is in prison now, right? John is prison, and, 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 and we, ask, we ask why. See, this is the wilderness we have been talking about. If we're going to grow in Christ, we better learn how to walk through the wilderness. We, this, this, this wilderness is a place of testing. Now, 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 the Count Chocula Christianity says that you could just, have, just get another sugar high is all you need. Just get another sugar high. But you eat that long enough, you get rotten teeth, and you get fat and gross and ugly and and you don't grow and you get kidney disease and you got problems and then when real problems arise you're like ah maybe this was all wrong maybe I picked the wrong faith maybe I no 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 the problem is you didn't exercise enough self control to actually have a balanced diet and make yourself healthy wow, that's a good 
We need a balanced spiritual diet. Now, I listen to some preachers that tell me, the, you know, it's going to rain sugar on me my entire life. But that isn't my whole diet. It's, it's fun for dessert. That, you know, I, I like hearing that I'm going to be a billionaire every now and then. Duke, I, I like hearing it, right? I like hearing it. I, I like hearing that I'm never going to be sick. I like that. I really do. I also like people teaching me how to deal with the times when I'm not, how to just be faithful. Just how to be faithful, right? <clears throat> this is the wilderness. We go into this place of trial and testing and determining who God really is in your life. This is what happens in the wilderness. When you're not on that high, 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 and you're like, where? I'm not sure where God is right now. I'm not sure I followed him right. I'm not sure I believe what I believed. I'm not, I'm not sure the ground seems a little... Has he ever been like the ground seems unstable in your walk? You're like, I'm not sure what the Bible is teaching me about this. I'm not sure what promises were real. This is the desert. And this is the wilderness, and it is a place of testing and trial and determining who God really is in your life. Will you hold on to Jesus when the whole world falls down around you? Or like we studied in Isaiah, are you going to go ahead and try to make a pact with people who promise you, hey, God failed you, but I have a better way. I, I know that, that church stuff failed you, but if you'll just do this, just, just, just do that. This is what happened with, we, we learned last week, this is what happened with, with Judah. They made this, this uh, pact with, with uh, the Assyrians, and, and it didn't, didn't work. They made a pact with Syria against the Assyrians instead of making a pact with God. And it sounds like a good idea until it's not a good idea. It sounds like a good idea until it fails. It sounds like a good idea until God actually steps in and said, I'm supposed to be the one you're counting on. Now, you may feel stretched and pulled, but I need to let you know in your time of wilderness, God is still good. He is still for you. And for those of us in the wilderness, and I, I just got to tell you, I can't get this word out of my spirit because I feel like there's people in here coming out of the wilderness, but there's also people in here who you got a word for people in the wilderness, and you need to deliver it to them. The wilderness is leading to great fruitfulness. The wilderness is leading to great fruitfulness. In the wilderness, when you hold on to Jesus, all of a sudden, Jesus will lead you right into the land of good and plenty. This is where it leads. But, but, but let's take a look about this. Let's take a look at what the scripture actually says. Can, can we do that for a moment? You ready? Are you ready to look at the Bible? Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Let's, let, let's, it's, let, let's look about... John's bitterness while he's in jail. Are you ready? Now when John was in prison, heard the works of Christ. He wasn't offended by what Jesus wasn't doing. The Bible didn't say anything about him being offended that he was in jail. He, he was not upset at all. The Bible doesn't speak anything about John the Baptist Falling into the pit of being offended at what Jesus is not doing. It says, when he heard what Jesus was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? I mean, <clears throat> and when you go to the easy way to figure out what the Bible actually says, if you're not sure about a verse, look it up in a bunch of different translations. The NIV here says, now when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. The New Revised Version says, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing. So John sent word about Jesus, not about him not rescuing him from jail, but John had expected Jesus to be doing something very different than what Jesus was doing. Now we're in a wilderness. What in the world does the Bible mean? Are you with me right now? And there's something for us to learn here. Trap number two, John the Baptist fell into, being offended by what Jesus is doing. Now, this is more subtle. This is far more subtle. Because we think that Jesus should be doing something different than what he is actually doing. 
Let's look at this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he gives a little word for John personally, pastorally. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now, I want to I I just very briefly. You ever been, you ever been mad at God? Can, can anybody here be honest? God's okay with that. He's okay with you yelling at the top of your voice. What are you doing? Why are you not doing this? Why, why am I in this calamity? The Psalms are filled with it. The Psalms are filled with it. But rarely are you going to get the answer you want. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. You see, Jesus will test your heart to see which kingdom rules it. The kingdom of love and forgiveness or the kingdom of bitterness, offense, and judgment. Now, Jesus... John was expecting Jesus to come and free Israel from Rome. We're going to kill all the Romans. We're going to destroy our oppressors. And we are going to rule and reign. But Jesus wasn't doing that. Jesus was on the backside of Galilee. Hanging out with people who weren't allowed to be with the Jews. Healing the blind. Restoring the hearing of the deaf. Cleansing the leper. And so it's like, I want you to, I want you to see this. It's like, it's like John the Baptist in prison, and he's thinking, Jesus is going to get his people. He's going to run this nation, and he is going to, I mean, like, I know he's the Messiah. He can do anything. I've, I've seen all the messianic figures that have come in Israel's past, from Elijah to Moses, just all these, Ezekiel, all these, these, these deliverers who had come in the past, and uh, Josiah, and I know he's going to come and do great things for the people of Israel. And instead, he's out there just wandering around in Galilee, healing people and loving on prostitutes and giving food to people who should be out working and just hanging out with those on the margins of society and loving them real well. And John's like, um, don't you have a job to do? Sh- shouldn't you be doing something else? Jesus was ministering to people in the margins of society. And I want you to see this. Jesus was engaged in radical countercultural spiritual formation. He was letting the disciples know, you think a change in government is going to change anything in this earth? No. It's not what it's about at all. It's, it's, it's the hurting people that matter to God. It's when, you, it's when you feed those who have nothing to offer you. It's when you love on people who are still going to take a dump on you. It's forgiving time and time and time again. It's recognizing your own heart condition instead of blaming it on other people around you. Jesus was like, if we can get this in people's hearts, we will take over the world for the kingdom of heaven. And he was engaged in this countercultural formation and the mission at the same time. He spent his few precious years reaching those who could do nothing for him, empowering them to carry this gospel. He was radical. He was radical. Look at this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you come out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. I don't want you to miss what Jesus is saying here. I, I, I just, I know I'm going long, but this is a big deal. It's like, it's a big deal to me. 
Why? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Don't waste your wilderness. Don't waste your wilderness. You left by the Holy Spirit. You were drawn out of this life of surety. You've been eating Count Chocula. You've been on sugar highs. And God drew you out into the wilderness where the world is a little shaky. And you're not sure of everything. And you went out there expecting to get fulfilled what you knew before you were in the wilderness. He's like, what did you go into the wilderness to see? What you wanted was already back in Jerusalem. You got strong Roman cohorts. You got soldiers. You got violence. You got people doing political machinations. You got people trying to figure out how to take over. You got the Sanhedrins and their, and, and their councils running things. And you got the Pharisees who are, who are plotting what the Bible means and how to control your life with it. And we got the Romans who are taking advantage of everybody. You got the tax collectors who are using their, 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 their position with the Romans and betraying their own people. And then you left all that to go out into the wilderness to think that I'm going to set up the same thing when you go back. No, God drew you out of where you were to do something new. God drew you into a new season to put something completely new in your life. And he's like, listen, you went out into the wilderness and you got something you never thought you were going to see. And now you're complaining you're not getting what you already had. You're complaining you're not getting the American dream when you came to Christ and you went into the wilderness with him. I got something better than the American dream. It's called the Father's heart. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called loving radically in a way that in the afterlife you get a reward that you could not earn on your own. There is something radically better that Jesus offers us. Say amen. Don't waste your wilderness experience on disappointment. So many people take a right turn in the wilderness and never get the payoff. Watch this, verse 9. But what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who's more than a prophet. There's one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. He'll prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there's not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Listen, God took you through the wilderness to see a kingdom that looks nothing like this world. This is why he drew you out. In light of eternity, don't focus your life on things that won't make it into the afterlife. Now, we all work. Our work is holy to God. We spend our lives in work, and we don't have a good enough theology of work. You're called to work. We're called to work. We work. We spend our hours working and those hours are holy. Your vocation is holy because you've given your life to it. It is a representation of your character, how you do at work. The amount of work you do while you're being paid to work. Our tithe is an offering of our life. It is holy. But our heart has to be quick to forgive quick to give up the idols of this world. When we get saved, the whole paradigm of our lives changes. Over time, if, if we don't undergo this countercultural spiritual formation, it goes right back to where we were before Christ. How many people have you seen get radically saved and in three years they were no different except now they wear a cross? Except now they believe Jesus is going to give them all the things they wanted before they went in the wilderness. No spiritual formation has happened at all. Their life hasn't changed at all. I, I, I love business owners who are like, this business supports my family, or, or this job supports my family, but it's holy to God. God is completely in control, and I give Him glory in everything that happens here. And, and, and time and again, they will bless the poor. They're able to hire people who couldn't get jobs because of their fortune. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm prophesying this right now. The Lord... Uh, this is going to sound goofy. I don't have time to explain it. But I have seen the prosperity angels of the Lord. And he will raise up businesses for those who will bless those who are less than them. I don't got time for that. We'll, we'll preach on that another time. I'm almost done. Is a lie. That's what happened to Israel. And it's why they needed John the Baptist. 
They needed to be reminded. They needed to be reminded. See, they keep getting these prophetic words from these prophets, but they, 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 like, here's the interesting part, and this is how we read the Bible through a lens. So there's parts that we like, and we read those a lot, and then there's parts that we call confusing, but we really just don't want to learn them. I'm going to say that again, because I want to get it in your spirit. There's parts of the Bible that we like and we read a lot, and then there's parts that are challenging and we don't learn them because they seem difficult. I'm going to say that one more time. There's parts of the Bible that we like, so we read a lot. Then there's parts that challenge us. We don't dig into those parts as much. We don't, we don't spend as much time as we want in those because they're going to require some change that we don't necessarily know we want to make. I don't have time to go into that. Those are the conversations I love having with people who are sure of certain things. And then I point out what the Bible says, and they're not as excited. So John the Baptist is in prison expecting God to do something. But Jesus is here reminding them of the words of Isaiah as we're taking our trip through Isaiah. When Isaiah the prophet talks about the nation of Judah is going to go into captivity, bad times are coming, People will be enslaved. They'll be in ruins. God says, you'll turn back to me and I will restore you. But this is what it looks like when I restore you. Isaiah chapter 35, starting in verse 1. Watch this. Are you ready? Listen for words. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. How many, how many times have you been glad in the wilderness? Have you been through a wilderness? Not, not a happy place, right? But God says he's going to make it happy. That's when you stick with God in the wilderness. This is what happens. That's the word of the Lord. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. And, uh, and, and Araba will rejoice and blossom. Like the, it's a lily, the crocus. Like the lily. It will blossom profusely. Now, now there aren't lilies in a desert. The wilderness has cactus. But the Lord says, listen, your wilderness is going to turn into something fruitful. You stick with me and you actually follow what I'm telling you to do with your heart. This is what's going to happen. It will blossom profusely and rejoice and rejoicing and shout of joy. Can you shout with joy? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In your wilderness, there's joy that is coming, the Bible says. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. If you get nothing out of this message today, I want you to get this. If you stay faithful to God in the wilderness, he will redeem the years with joy. Amen. If you will continue with God and say, I refuse to turn to the left or to the right. I am going to learn the ways of God. I'm going to stay in God, engaged in God's mission. I'll keep the Lord's day holy. I will read the Bible. I will engage with God and allow him to do the deep work in my heart. He will redeem the years with joy. He will take it. He will turn it to joy and empower you for the mission God has on your life. You say amen. amen. Look, and here's what he says. He says, listen, you, this, this wilderness and this desert, I'm going to turn it to joy. And watch what happens. Watch what they were supposed to do with this. Verse 3, encourage the... My, my phone's doing all kinds of things. I'm so sorry. You got to forgive me. I got issues here. Let me try to make this silent. Please forgive me. It says, encourage the exhausted. Strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxiety, take courage. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Does that sound like anybody? That's Jesus. 
That's Jesus who showed up on the scene doing the very thing Isaiah swore that the prophet would do. But John was stuck in the culture of his day. All I know is violence. All I know is men taking advantage of other men. We got to fight it out. We got we to argue it out. We got to have conflict. And Jesus is like, you're not sure I'm the one? I want you to let him know that Isaiah chapter 35 is unfolding right now in front of you. The desert is turning to joy. The people are being healed. The very thing that, 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 that this is it's happening right now. And the thing about this word is it said it would happen once they came into the kingdom of God. So the fact that Jesus is doing it points to the fact that they've now entered the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is now among you because these things are happening. He's like, let John know. John knows the word. John knows Isaiah. He studied the scriptures, but he's got his mind on the wrong realm. He's stuck on the things of this world. I want him to be stuck on the things of God. So just go quote him Isaiah 35 and it'll click in his mind. Hey, guess what? The kingdom is here now. Come on. Let's, 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 let's come on. Amen. Listen, as you tell people about Jesus, we open eyes and unstop ears. They can hear and see the goodness of God because you have preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. What's the effect of all this? What happens when, when people stand in the wilderness and decide, I'm not going to be turned to the left or the right. I'm not going to give up, but I'm going to hold on to God. And then we see God start to redeem things. Oh, I see things now. When you come out of the desert, I see things I couldn't see before. I now hear God moving in ways I couldn't hear before. I'm seeing God move in places I didn't see before. Now I look back and where I used to just see desert, I see the formation he was doing in my life. What, what's, 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 what's the effect of all that? Let's keep reading the Bible, shall we? I mean, it helps. Let's read the Bible, right? G Isaiah chapter 35, verse 7. Let's keep reading. <clears throat> he says, the scorched land will become a pool. I love my pool. The scorched land will become a pool. The thirsty ground, springs of water. The haunt of jackals, its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there. A roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way. And fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. There, these will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. That's me and you, friend. Amen. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the promise of God. Everlasting joy. But you got to stick around for the dance. It's like when I used to go to the club back in the day, and you know, in the beginning, they play all the music nobody wants to hear. Then as the night goes on, the DJ seemingly gets better, right? He starts playing better music the later things go. You got to stick around for the good music, right? And so Jesus is like, listen, I'm doing something. Anybody, don't act like y'all know what I'm talking about. Come on, I, 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 done, I done heard your confession. I done heard your testimony. I know all y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I'm just sitting here waiting for the main act to come on. The whack groups, I'm just standing through because the goodness comes at the end. Jesus, like the headliner, comes on last. But you're going to have to stick through some opening acts. Otherwise, you don't get a good seat. Come on, somebody. Act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Come on now. But when you stick with it, when you allow God to form your life with His goodness, all of a sudden, streams start coming out of your life. All of a sudden, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to close with this. I was in the barber shop this week, and, uh, which is a spiritual place for men. It's a holy place for men. The barber shop thing, things, I don't know what happens in salons. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what happens there. I, I'm, I'm, it takes too long for anything. I don't know. It's holy in Chelsea's, yeah. She's holding church. But I'm in the salon, and there's a dude talking. And uh, he's just talking, and he says his name. I'm like, huh, I feel like I know that name, right? Like, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to be in nobody's business. And so they're just talking and talking and talking. I'm like, are you talking about this guy, whoever? And they're like, yeah. I was like, I know him. And he's like, 
how do you know him? I'm like, well, actually, through marriage, I'm related to him. He's like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. I'm like, uh, you know, he's like, we used to be like, when we were down, we were together, right? Like they were both in addiction and, you know, they used to roll together. And then uh, the one guy, my relative, got his life together and this guy didn't. And, uh, and eventually, years later, he's like, oh, man. Uh, you know, I knew this guy and, uh, you know, I haven't seen him in years. He's like, do you have his number? I'm like, yeah, I got his number. I'll give you his number right now. So I gave him his number. And then the guy calls me later and he's like, man, I have been, this is what he says to me. Like, this is how the Holy Ghost works. He says, I have been in the wilderness for years. And it's weird spiritual things have been happening to me. And I've been asking God, God, if this is you drawing me, let me know. And when you left the barber shop, the barber let me know that you're a pastor. I said, man, God is calling you to his goodness. It is time for streams in the desert. It is time for seasons of joy. I just started texting and said, I'm about to start preaching right now. I'm about to get my preach on right now because I see the anointing of God drawing somebody home, answering some prayers that could only happen if I had an ear to hear what the Holy Ghost was speaking. Hear me. When the gospel gets in people, God starts to supernaturally turn your failures into your greatest strength. Come on, somebody. You're like, I know what it was like to be down there on the bottom, but I don't come up from there and I can let you know God is good in the midst of it. He can redeem your life like he did mine. He will create wells of joy that we, as we share the kingdom. Listen, brother, I know you think that you're at the bottom and there ain't nothing you can do because you're stuck at the bottom of a well and it feels like you can't never get out. But I'm telling you, I hear the sound of rain and it's going to rain in that well and you're going float right up to the top of it and get out. And you're going to have a well to draw from that you'll be able to bring life to people. Stand with me if you would. Listen, we are making room in our lives for the coming of Jesus. Can you say amen? We are making room in our lives for the coming of Jesus. And as he is removing things and calling us to something more beautiful than we have ever walked in before. At Revival Life Church, I make absolutely no apologies that we are believing that people are going to grow into mature believers who will be mothers and fathers of people who come after them. Listen, if you've been saved more than two months, you need to be pouring into somebody else. If you've been saved less than two months, you need to be telling your testimony to somebody. You need to be sharing what God has given you so he can turn your experiences into wells of revival for the people around you. John the Baptist was not offended at what wasn't happening. John the Baptist was offended because he didn't know what God was doing according to the prophecies of Isaiah. And I'm here to let you know right now, if you have wrestled with what God has and has not done, he is still being good in your life, whether you see it or not. He is drawing you to his goodness and he is redeeming every experience you have had. Now, every eye closed and every head bowed. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, there is a call on every person in this room. There is a call to share the deep well that you have on the inside of them. The promise that you have shared in their lives. The voice of God that resonates on the inside of them. Father, I know it in my very being right now. There are people in this room that there are people waiting to hear the gospel from them. There are people in their lives on the periphery who need to know where they can hear the truth of God's word. That God may not always do what you want, but he's going to arrive right on time with what you need. That he is a good, and come on somebody, he is a good and faithful God. Now prepare to receive. Father, right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would awaken every prophecy on the inside of them, that you would awaken every call on the inside of them, that you would stir in their lives. You would stir in their lives calls of old. You would, the covenant, oh, pray in the Spirit. I feel it on now. I feel God doing it right now. Last week, we talked about the covenant you would make with God and that you would keep. And I believe that God is ready to show himself mighty in the covenant. He is ready to show himself mighty in your circumstance. He's ready to show himself 
mighty and changing things. As you give yourself over to Christ, as you surrender the future to God, as you let God know, I don't need to know everything that's happening. Just let me know where to put my foot next, who to speak to next, who to draw next, who to bless next. God is going to set everything else in order. I feel in this Christmas season, God is making some room in, his, in your life for Him and for His goodness and for the, from that trunk will grow the sprout of Jesse that a new David, a new worship, a new deliverer, a new temple maker, a new generation is coming forth. I'm here to let you know. A new gifting is being activated. A new prophetic word is coming forth. A new fruitfulness is beginning to come on, let it brood. A new fruitfulness is coming forth. I see people shaking addictions right now in the name of Jesus. Dropping offenses right now in the name of Jesus. Saying in light of eternity, this does not matter. I cling to Christ. I cling to Christ and His promises in my life. I see, mm, I see deliverance happening right now. I see the season of lament coming to an end. The season of grieving coming to an end. The season of mourning coming to an end. I see a new dawn arising. I tell you, I see a new... Begin to pray in the Spirit. I was up wrestling with the devil at 3.30 in the morning this morning. The devil tried to take me out. I'm here to let you know. I had the chills and I was shaking. I said, God, if God be for me, who could be against me? Because I know I got the word of the Lord on the inside of me. It is fighting. And I tell you, there's war in the heavens right now over this word of blessing. And I went to sleep soundly. And I woke up in a sweat. And the Lord said, the warfare has broken over you in the name of Jesus. And I believe now there's a season of prosperity coming forth. There's a season of blessing coming forth. There is a season of fruitfulness coming forth. There is a season of love and peace coming forth in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Now give a clap offering and give a shout to the Lord. Give a shout to the Lord. We praise you Jesus for who you are in my life. That you are faithful. You are true and you are good in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the matchless name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are a God of truth. We thank you that you are a God of love. We thank you that you are a God who cannot lie. We thank you that all your promises are yes and amen. We thank you, God, that there is none like you and that we can trust you in all that you do. In the name of Jesus. Let me bless you now. Oh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Let his countenance rest upon you. Let the Lord be present with you and give you peace in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Give a clap off from the Lord if you would. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen, amen. We love you. Get an invitation card on the way out. Invite somebody to church. We're going to have church. And we're going to see God change lives. Amen? Amen. If you're a first-time guest, give me a minute to get out in the lobby. I would love to say hello to you.